um, first from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 18 to 31. And the second one is from Isaiah 29 verses 13 to 16. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts Boast in the Lord. And Isaiah is, the Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. Therefore, once more I will astonish these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us? Who will know? You turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed to say to him who formed it? He did not make me. Can the pot say of the potter, he knows nothing. This is the word of the Lord. And please stand for the next song. Please have a seat. Well, we have uh, Wally B and opening up God's word for us this morning. Wally, do you want to come on up? Uh, Wally's often here with us, but, but not always, not every Sunday. Some, some Sundays Wally is at other churches across Christchurch, often in our diocese and, and helping them by preaching for them and, and giving the, the ministers a bit of a break. And we don't often get to hear much from Wally. So as he comes up, I've got one question for him to answer uh, before he does open up God's word. And that is, what's been one encouragement, Wally, as you've visited some of these other churches? 
Well, thank you, folks. It's been a great morning this morning. Wonderful morning. Uh, two things. Um, well, let me say overall. So there's two two things really. Um, Travelling around to the, I think I've been to most churches, uh, all our churches now in the South Island. Don't think I've been up north. They've never asked me. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been to all of them. What encouraged me personally was that when you come to preach the Bible and the service itself is based on, the, on Christ, it's based on the Word of God, you would, I know this seems, may seem odd to you, but nearly 30 years ago you'd never seen that. I didn't, go, I didn't step much outside of St. John's when I was at St. John's for those many years. Uh, but when I did step outside and visit different churches, you know, a few churches I went to, Anglican churches, uh, preaching the word really wasn't the important thing. It was all the other stuff. And when I used to preach, you'd see, you know, people going out of the toilet and disappearing. I don't think it was just me. It may have been. I hope not. Uh, but you just, but, but to go to, to go to our churches now, where I have been, uh, the word of God and true worship is just so encouraging. You would be thrilled if you went round, because when I use, when I, when I preach now, the Bible's open. You've never seen that 25, 30 years ago. You just wouldn't have seen it. And so that encourages me a great deal, wonderfully encourages me. Yes, churches are still struggling. Of course they are. Um, uh, I, could, I could go through some of the trials that they're facing and stuff like that. Some, some are really going through difficulties. Others, as we've heard this morning, are just uh, growing beyond uh, what we would believe, really. But, but all, all in all, it is, it is a tough ministry. It doesn't matter where you are. It's a tough ministry but you can be encouraged when you go around to these churches because you could go, if you visit um, Rakaia, for example, or, or, uh, or Blenheim, if you go to one of our churches, it will be like coming into St. Stephen's. The centrality will be there, and you'll be so encouraged. That encouraged me a great deal. You'd never have seen that 25, 30 years ago. Second thing, overall from the diocese, uh, we could have all gone home after Andrew spoke about uh, the, what happened at the Synod because that was a sermon in itself. You may not understand this, but to have a bishop who opens the conference with, a, with a, uh, an expository sermon from the book of Judges, was it, or something? Is that where it was, or, or the, whatever it was. You'd never have seen that at, a, at a, um, a synod 20 years ago. You'd never have seen that. You've never, you'd never have got a report uh, which these two blokes fetched uh, this morning from, from uh, the synod. You would never have seen that 25 years ago. And that, to me, is wonderful. Your bishop who preach the, preaches the gospel and lives, tries to live the gospel and, and tries to encourage young people to go through for ministry for the sake of the gospel, you just wouldn't have seen. So that warms the cockles of my heart. That's why I said I was so encouraged this morning. So, does that help? Yeah, that's the thing. Right, let's get down to business. Let me pray. May the words of my lips and the thoughts and meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord God, our Creator and Redeemer. Amen. Well, we're just looking at those uh, verses, uh, the first, uh, I think, is it, is it verse 18 to 25? Have I got that right? That's right, just the first section, not the second section for First Corinthians. That's, that's what we're having a look at. It's impossible for us in the 21st century Western culture to grasp the absolute shock that a cross would have been on people in the first century in the Roman and Greek society. 
It's, we just wouldn't understand that. Death on a cross was the most barbaric, cruel, inhumane, torturous forms of death, even for Romans. Yes, in our culture, the symbols of the cross are everywhere, and they are acceptable everywhere. People wear them around their necks, in their ears, and tattooed on their bodies. There are crosses on buildings and gravestones and churches and cathedrals, and bishops wear them and all sorts. The symbol of, cro of the cross is everywhere. You would never have seen that in the first century. The cross was a barbaric and cruel, shameful, degrading death. And to wear it as a symbol or paint it on a wall <coughs> would have been sick. Today it would be like wearing a necklace with a symbol of the gas chambers in, in Auschwitz around your neck. That's the equivalent. That's what it would have been like. And for Paul to preach the message of the cross that God's promised Messiah, God's Savior, came into this world, suffered and died on a cross was unthinkable. It was also foolishness, just silly. The Son of God died in a gas chamber in Auschwitz. What kind of a God is that? What good does it do? How does it save the world's problems? Why would God do that? If the world needs saving, God would do something more dignified, more glorious, more powerful, more great. A cross? Well, that's just foolishness. But that's the message that Paul and the early church preached. And so in our continuing studies from 1 Corinthians, it's what Paul now turns to from chapter 1, verse, verse 18. Now, just, to, just remember, that, as Joel said a couple of weeks ago, the church in Corinth was experiencing divisions in the fellowship. Well, in this section, which goes right through to chapter 3, in this section, Paul comes to the underlying problem which caused that division. Many in the church were going back to their old ways before they became Christians. Chapter 6, you don't need to turn to it, it says in chapter 6, the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, for those who practice homosexuality, the greedy, the drunkards, the revilers, will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's what some of you were. Well, now some in the church were reverting to this old way of life. And it was because they were reverting into their old way of thinking they were going back to being influenced by what Paul calls human philosophy. So clever speakers were saying, well, Christianity is okay, but you don't really believe that the Son of God died on the cross for our sin, do you? And that only by following him can you know God and go to heaven. No, there are other ways. There are other paths in life. There are other spiritual journeys. They were being taken in by preaching man's wisdom and not following God's wisdom. And Paul brings them back. And he reminds them what he preached, the message of the cross. And in this first section, verses 18 to 25, he shows that when the message of the cross, which is God's wisdom, is preached, it affects people in three ways. And that's what we want to look at this morning. It affects people in three ways when the, when the message of the cross is preached. First, it is foolishness to those who are perishing. Verses 18 and 19. Right through this section which, as I said, goes up to chapter 3, Paul contrasts, contrasts foolishness and wisdom. And when Paul speaks of human wisdom here in this passage, he's using it in a negative way. There is a human wisdom which is good, which, are, which we are to seek. God wants people to be wise and to think and learn and grow in wisdom. Jesus himself spoke of the wise and the foolish builder. Be wise, he said. Build your lives on rock. 
on him. So there's a wisdom which is good and godly. But when Paul uses it here, it's in a negative sense. It's a worldview. It's looking at the world and life, how it is, how it should be, how I live, even looking at God, but without God's thinking coming into it. It's using man's wisdom, but excluding God, even when thinking and talking about God. It's my thinking about what God should be, and how he should behave, and what he should be like. When Paul uses human wisdom here, it's in that sense. When he says in verse 20, where is the wise man? And in verse 19, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. He's speaking about human wisdom being a wisdom that thinks it knows better than God. Do you follow that? You see, the Greeks worshipped human wisdom. They worshipped human philosophy. They worshipped the people who came with clever ideas about the world and about life and what life is about and about God and about the afterlife. And the more cleverer and the more philosophical the ideas and the theories were, the more they liked it. And the more the, speeches were, the, the, the speakers of those things were admired. Remember in Acts chapter 17, Paul visits Athens. And he walked around Athens. And it says in verse 21, the Athenians, the Greeks, the Athenians spent their whole time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. That was Greek culture. They were obsessed with clever philosophical speakers, with great speculations about life. And it's where God was speculated about where he's discussed what he's like, who he is, why he is, and why the world is as it is, but where he's not truly sought after to love and to live for. And to know from him what he is like. It's human wisdom. It's human intellect. It's their own wisdom instead of God's wisdom. It's worshipping the creature instead of the creator. And of course to those people who don't really want God, the message of the cross that the Son of God died for our sin and rebellion against God, that is foolishness. Well, that's not clever. That's not philosophical. That has no beauty. And it doesn't flatter mankind. It tells us we are sinful and that we rebel against God. That we are so sinful, we put God on a cross because we don't want him. Well, that's foolishness. And when Paul says in verse 20, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the in intelligent, he's quoting the Old Testament, meaning this is not new. This is not something new. Man has always believed it knows better than God. And the message of the cross is God's way of doing what he always said that he would do. Isaiah chapter 29, destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent. And that's the first thing that happens when the true message of the cross is preached. You know that as well as I do. It is foolishness to those who don't want God. Who, as Paul says, are perishing. And it's no different today. This culture, our culture, is just like Greek culture in many ways. It's obsessed with human wisdom and human intellect and our own ideas. 
and we hear all the latest ideas on life and God and the afterlife, and the cleverer they are, the more we think, wow, wow, that's intelligent. Isn't that person wonderful? He, think, he says that man's evolved from, and we're all spiritually, and so what life is about is, well, it's a sort of, and we think, wow, he is really good. He is really clever. I'm going to listen more to him. And then somebody else takes that idea and develops it a little bit deeper. And we think that he's so deep and so spiritual and so intellectual. That's the philosophers of our, that's the philosophers of our culture. The clever people who influence culture against God. And influence it against the Christian faith. Well, these people think that Christianity is okay as a moral code. You know, it's good to be nice and love each other. But that we are sinful that God's son came and suffered and died for our sin on a cross. Well, that's a bit crude, really. Oh, we don't like that. And that's too judgmental of us. We're not that sinful. And so human wisdom is accepted and spoken about and admired rather than God's wisdom. And that's the first effect when the message of the cross is preached. It is foolishness to those who are perishing. You've known that in your conversations. Have you ever got a conversations about the gospel? Did you know that? That's what happens. That's the effect. The second effect is that the message of the cross makes foolish the wisdom of the world. Verses 20 and 21. I love verse 20. I love it. I'll tell you why in a second. Verse 20. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? And I picture in my weird imagination the scholar and the philosopher and the university lecturer and the clever people whom God created and who gave them their brains trying to outthink and outscholar God. I love that. And they dream up all sorts of philosophical ideas to work God out and to know God. Or a system where society will be better off without God, whether it's Marxism, existentialism, agnosticism, atheism, humanism. And these great philosophers and these great scholars get excited and they think they've found it. But over a time, a generation or two later, that philosophy fizzles. It fails. It falls. It doesn't matter who it is. The great technological Roman Empire falls. The Greek Empire collapses the Berlin Wall comes down. Communism breaks apart. And God says, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where are the philosophers of this age who think they can outthink God? They and their systems and their philosophies and their cleverness all pass away, but God remains. Well, these philosophies and ideas, they're reintroduced a few centuries later... <coughs> under a different name but they too make a mess of society and they fade away so I love verse 20 I don't know whether it's sinful of me I don't know but there are times when I am proud of God is that a sin? I'm just so proud of him verse 20 where is the wise man? where is the philosopher of this age? where is he? Where is Karl Marx, the founder of communism? Where is Friedrich Nietzsche's, who taught that God is dead? Where is Voltaire, the French philosopher, father of the Enlightenment, who attacked God's word and who died a depressed and darkened man? 
Where is David Hume, a skeptic? God doesn't do miracles. Jesus didn't do miracles. Where is Descartes, another skeptic? The only reality is me. I think, therefore, I am. Where is Jean-Paul Sartre, existentialism? God is found only in what I experience. Where are they? And where is the philosopher of this age, of our culture, who says that God can be anything you want him to be, and it doesn't matter what I believe or how I live life, there's no such thing as God's judgment or sin or hell. We're all God's children. All religions are the same. There's no day of judgment. There's no accountability before God. Just live as you like, they say. Eat, drink, and be merry. But you only have a short life. You only have one life, and away we go. That's the philosopher of this age. Meanwhile, God says, where is the wise man? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Yes, he has. How? Paul says two ways. One in verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know God. Nietzsche's, as clever as he was and a greater thinker as he was, didn't find God. Karl Marx, communism, socialism, didn't find utopia. Voltaire died, it's sad to read his, his, him on the deathbed. Voltaire died not knowing God, only darkness. David Hume, Descartes, Jean-Paul Sartre, most of them died miserable, depressed, and frustrated people. God couldn't be found in those ways. Their searches came to nothing. God frustrated the intelligence of the intelligent. And it wasn't because of their intelligence. There's nothing wrong with intellect. There's nothing wrong with being an academic. I mean, look at me. There's nothing wrong. That'll do. Thank you very much. That'll do. There is nothing wrong with intellect. It's that they wouldn't bow to God's wisdom. These people knew the message of the cross. They knew about Jesus, but they refused to bow to it. They knew a better way. And God didn't reveal himself to those people. Rather, he showed them to be foolish. And he continues to do that. The second way God made foolish the wisdom of the wise, verse 21 again, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. The foolish message of the cross, when it's preached, saves those who believe. Let me say that again. The, message of the, the foolish message of the cross, when it's preached, saves those who believe. God was determined to save his people. And no amount of self-centered endless preoccupation with man's philosophy how great mankind is and how silly God is would stop God in fact God planned it this way verse 24 to those whom God has called God calls certain people and when they hear the message these people respond in faith they respond by believing they acknowledge the truth about Jesus Christ you see only God can cut through man's cleverness and man's arrogance, especially when it's disguised as searching for God, but is really meant just to impress people. How clever people are. Only God can cut through that and reach genuine believers. Exactly the same as only Jesus, who was the Son of God, could cut through the great religious system that the Jewish leaders had created, which they had created. It was clever, it looked very holy. It looked very righteous. There was a great temple. There was all the fasting. There was all the words. But they didn't really want God. 
They did it to impress people and have power. And humanly speaking, that was impossible to see through. And it was impossible to see through to reach those who really loved God. Only God could do that. And so it is with philosophers, religious systems, and leaders throughout history and today. God cuts through all the junk, all through, through all the pretense, through all the hypocrisy. He cuts through it with the message of the cross. And he saves those people who believe. Clever, not so clever. Intellectual, non-intellectual. High in society, low in society. Young, old, servant, king, makes no difference. Anybody who believes, God will give them understanding and they will believe. And he will save them. And notice carefully verse 21. It's not just preaching per se. It's not just persuasive, clever speakers. It's not the it's not the power of the preaching as such. Paul says, through the foolishness of what was preached. That is, the content, the message of the cross, which is, verse 23, Christ crucified. It's the content of what's preached which will sift, those, which will sift people from those who believe, from those who refuse to bow to God. It sifts those from those who are being saved and from those who are perishing. And I've seen that throughout my ministry. I'm sure you have. I'm sure many preachers have. I've seen intelligent people, not so intelligent people, wise, not so wise, good, not so good, hear the same message. One has believed and one hasn't. It's a mystery. It's a miracle. But God does it. And I thank God that that is the way. Because if salvation was a matter of how clever a person is, or how philosophical, or how religious, or how nice they appear to other people, then only those kind of people would be saved. Do you see that? But I thank God for his wisdom, because he saved me. And I'm not a philosopher. I'm not clever. I'm not an academic. I am not good. But he brought me to believe. And it's the same with the people in this congregation. He brought you to believe. He, he, he got through all the stuff. And he brought you to believe. And therefore he saved you. And we must thank God that it is that way. Thirdly, very quickly. The third effect follows on. The message of the cross shows that human wisdom outsmarts itself, but it doesn't outsmart God, leading many people to perish. Verse, verse 22. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Do you see what Paul is saying? When Jesus came, some Jewish people believed, but many leaders especially, kept asking for further signs. Remember that in the Gospels? Oh, well, if you'll show us something else. They'd seen Jesus' miracles. They'd seen his healings. They heard his wonderful preaching about the kingdom of God. So there was plenty of evidence, but they wanted more. Of course, the truth was, they didn't really want to believe. They said they would if, they'd give, if he'd give them another sign, but they would never believe. You remember Jesus said to them, even if, you see, even if you see a dead man raised to life, you'll never believe. 
And that's people in our society, isn't it? They say, well, I'll believe God if he'll just show himself, if he'll just do something. But he's given us evidence already. This world, creation, life, knowledge that he exists deep down, we all know that God exists, right from wrong, but they want more. And you'll find, as I have done, if you discuss the existence of God with people, they'll keep bringing up something else, won't they? You'll say, ah, yes, but then, then they'll go, ah, yeah, but what about, um, and then you say something about that, ah, yeah, but what about, so, and so it goes on. It's the same with believing in Jesus Christ. Well, I would become a Christian, but we don't actually know that Jesus was the Son of God, and we don't know that he was actually raised from the dead. We don't know these things. Don't we? There's actually more evidence for Jesus being who he is and his resurrection than most other facts in history. But they always want more evidence. They want another sign. But God has given us enough. If we won't believe, that's our stubbornness. And then the, Paul says about the Greeks. The Greeks look for wisdom. So the, the intellectual today says, well, I want something more acceptable I want something more rational to believe. I want something not so offensive. The message of the cross says that the world is evil and that we're all sinners and God judges sin and that some will go to heaven and some won't go to heaven, that we have to believe in Jesus Christ. In other words, there's only one way to God. Well, I find that offensive. What about other religions? What about this? What about that? That seems very narrow-minded to me. I believe that God loves all people. I believe that we're all children of God. That's the wise person of today. And the message of Christ crucified is a stumbling block for them. Again, you'll know it in your conversations. They don't like it. It's foolishness. So both the person who wants more evidence yet won't believe and the trendy, political, correct thinker of today, those who worship their own intellect, who, or who worship their own ideas, or who worship, worships other people's ideas. Both, they both outsmart themselves when the message of the cross is preached, and both perish for it, because they won't believe. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Paul wanted the Corinthians to stop being influenced by the culture of the day, which again is what warmed the cockles of my heart when I heard this. that's what they were speaking about at Synod. That's, that's what Paul wanted from the Corinthians. And that's what we, we need. We've got to stop being influenced by the culture of the day, by human wisdom living and preaching, and get back to what we preached in the first place, the message of the cross. And I think, I wonder whether you do, whether that's what Paul would write to the Anglican Church and other denominations, exactly that today. Because that is causing the division in the churches. That's what splits us apart. And we must get back to preaching the message of the cross, which is God's wisdom. It is God's wisdom. And you can see now I was so encouraged about listening about this, what happened over the weekend at, uh, at the Synod Gathering. And please, brothers and sisters, play, pray for your preachers here 
Pray for preachers in the church in general. Pray for those who preach from this pulpit on a Sunday morning. Pray for Joel. Pray for other ministers that they will stick to the message of the cross because there will be many things which which will uh, be a temptation to take them away from it. So pray for them. And may God bless your ministry. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we just bow to your wisdom and we give you great thanks for your wisdom. Forgive our foolishness. Forgive us, Father, we pray. And we do pray that you would raise up preachers in this day, in this culture, for your people. Raise them up, we pray, that they would know the centrality of the cross and help them to preach it clearly, unashamedly, and bravely. And we pray that you will be glorified, that your Son, your wonderful Son, will be honored and glorified in the church. And we pray all these things in our Lord's name.